Tango Tango Papa 2134, September 13, 2023. Have we seen the actual reality of a monstrous crime? Or merely an illusion, the product of a tortured brain? Good evening, Tom Wiles here with you coming to you this evening from Mount Vernon, Illinois. So, uh, gosh, it's been about a month and a half, I believe, since the uh, last podcast. It's been over a month, let's see. So the last one was on uh, July the 31st. So the entire month of August went by, and now we're almost midway through September. So it's been about a month and a half. Sorry about that. Uh, You know, I didn't really intend to allow that much time to go by, but uh, I did. (laughs) So (laughs) what do you do? Uh, So anyway, uh, what has gone on in a month and a half? Well... It's interesting. During the month of, uh, I guess it was early August, and this this may have played into why there's been such a long delay in the podcast, for about, I'd say about two weeks, maybe a little less than two weeks, very ironically, I got COVID again. Uh, It started out, you know, because I had it almost exactly... You know, because a, a year later than when I first got it. So I had it in August, starting in early August of 2022. I had uh, symptoms for about 15 days uh, from the, you know, of course, that was uh, probably the Omicron ver- version of it back uh, in 2022. So I had symptoms for about 15 days. Of course, I kept working the entire time. I lost my sense of smell for a couple of days, so that's why I knew that it was COVID, because I never did formally test for it, Uh, and that was in 2022. Uh Uh-oh, telephone's ringing. Okay, so that was my uh, parents. They've been in in northwest Arkansas for the summer, and so now they're uh, on their way back at this point to uh, south Texas. So they had stopped, uh, I'd, I'd tracked their location earlier, they'd stopped at an RV park in, uh, I guess it's near Durant, Oklahoma somewhere. So I, they probably, I don't know, they, I'm guessing they probably maybe went 300 miles, probably a little less than that. Uh, so they've still got a ways to go, so they'll probably stop at least one more time before they get to where they're going so uh, but there's all there's lots of RV parks so anyway they're they're stopped for the evening so back to the story so I had uh, in 2022 I had uh, August of 2022 I had uh, probably the Omicron version of COVID uh, which you know was worst 
it was the very first day or first night was the worst because I could not sleep at all. And I had a fever at that point, and uh, so that was that was pretty. It was fairly miserable, although it wasn't completely debilitating. Because uh, I've had things that are worse than uh, what the Omicron was. So, you know, f- kind of fast forward to this August and uh, early August started uh, getting this time I didn't have a temperature but I had sort of cold symptoms uh, more or less and it was all kind of in I had a bit of a sinus headache you know I could kind of feel pressure in my sinuses uh, and I had a you know quite a bit of uh, that was co- accompanied by quite a bit of mucus my nose was uh, for a few days my nose just uh, was dripping like a leaky water faucet uh, it was really, un, you know, it was really annoying uh, how it would just drip, drip, drip. And, you know, so I had to keep uh, some sort of a, like a napkin or uh, tissue or something around in order to, you know, continually try to catch the, the, the drippage. So that went on for several days. And the reason that I know that it was COVID the second time in August of this year, 2023, is because for a couple of days I lost my sense of smell again. Uh, which, but this time I, you know, when I had it before with the Omicron, uh, not only did I lose my sense of smell, but I kind of lost my appetite. So I had to kind of force feed myself. You know, I had to make sure that I would eat something. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a struggle at times. Especially, you know, during those few couple of days where I lost my sense of smell. Then when it started to come back, everything, you know, I, I had a day or two where things, food would taste like chemicals. Uh, <laughs> you know, and this, this was in 2022. And then... It was interesting. I, I mentioned it at the time, but uh, you know, I was in this truck stop bathroom, and this was towards the end of the symptoms. Sometimes truck stop bathrooms uh, can smell pretty bad, and I was, uh, you know, I was in this truck stop bathroom, and I smelled uh, like a sewer smell, and I was just as happy as I could be to have my sense of smell back. <laughs> And it be, you know, and there it was. I could smell it. So, but this time I lost my sense of uh, smell for a couple of days with with whatever, I'm not sure which version I had this, you know, now it was about a month ago. Not sure which version I had, but, uh, or it was at least about a month ago when I got rid of it. Uh, Not sure which version I had, but I, I didn't really lose my appetite. And like I say, it was just mostly sort of a sinus-type head cold. And then that went away, and then every, you know, that was that. So it wasn't, it was more or less just a kind of like a sinus cold-type thing, you know, where I didn't didn't ever even have uh, any kind of a temperature, or did I... Re- end up even having a problem really sleeping 
that really wasn't a problem. You know, maybe my sleep might have been interrupted a little bit, but not not bad. So uh, these this newer version, whichever one it was that I had, uh, was just a cold. And, you know, I'd rather not have colds, but, you know, they happen. They're going to happen. Uh, you know, that's just something, you know, if you're alive and you're a human being, at some point you're going to have you're going to have different types of colds and that's just the, the fact of the matter so uh, deal with it so that's what I did uh, but anyway I thought that was ironic that it happened pretty much exactly a year later so uh, but I you know and then I was home and I took my time off and this was after I got over it and then uh after I came back to work, and I've been back at work now for a while, uh, my parents called me uh, a few days after I came back to work. They both had COVID. I guess uh, mom had started out uh, with her, you know, kind of the nose dripping thing, and uh, she sounded a little bit hoarse. And then dad, I guess, had a little bit of a temperature, and then, you know, and you know and he was tired or whatever but they seem to have gotten over it pretty quickly because they're you know now they're on their way back to South Texas and she sounded uh, she sounded pretty good and I didn't hear him coughing in the background so I think they uh, are you know pretty much over it at this point or close to it so uh, but you know, I have heard, and I do believe that this this newer version of COVID, whatever this BA two or BA five or whatever whatever it is, is uh, much is very contagious. It's very contagious, but it's probably no big deal. Uh, for most people, you know, it's not going to be a big deal. My parents, you know, mom is ninety eight, dad is eighty nine. She'll be, uh, you know, her next birthday, which is coming up in about uh, roughly three months. Both of their birthdays are coming up. She will be 99, and he will be 90, which is, that's just kind of unbelievable to think about. Uh, you know, so, you know, and they're both... Uh, still pretty functional you know dad still uh, drives he still you know he doesn't you know he gets tired easier but he still drives he is still pulling the camper trailer around you know and it, it, but it is tiring for him you know much more tiring than it once was and he can't you know they they stop a lot more frequently if they're traveling and uh, you know she is obvious uh, I don't know she's been kind of losing some weight and I don't know if she's just not eating as well or there's, there's probably some reasons why she could start to lose weight uh, that happens sometimes with elderly people you know really elderly they can start losing some weight uh, so you know but uh, she's 98 so what do you, you know, what are you going to do? She can't, and she's aware of it. I mean, they're, 
Neither one of them has suffered any kind of mental decline. They're both uh, pretty well as sharp as they ever were. But uh, so neither one of them has suffered, you know, any kind of dementia or anything like that. You know, sometimes that happens with a lot younger people. It can, you know, there's some, you know, you read these stories where people start uh, having problems sometimes even in their late 30s uh, as far as cognitive decline, which is shocking. And I, I think they're, you know, so I have my opinions about that. But, uh, yeah. and of course, my opinions, I think that is a lot of it can be diet diet related it just depends on the person's genetics but uh, in any case uh, they're on their way back to South Texas so I uh, went ahead and set my vacation up again for Christmas so I you know kind of replicated the the same days I you know for the last several years I end up replicating kind of the same days off uh, as far as how many days I take off uh, so I've I've already got that set up as opposed to you know trying to wait till the last minute to do it I do it uh, a few months ahead and then that way is uh, you know I'm not trying to compete with anyone else because I already thought of it <laughs> I already have it set up so uh, let's see so what else happened uh, I guess before I went home the last time, I was going through this Utah scale, and they pulled me right in to do an inspection, which is fine. I don't mind getting the truck inspected, because it happens. It, you know, it happened in Illinois, uh, I don't know, two or three months ago. I was in Illinois, and this highway patrolman pulled me over and uh, did a roadside inspection as far as paperwork, and he was happy with it. So I got pulled into this Utah State scale in north of Salt Lake City area, and uh, so they looked at everything. They, you know, they have this big pit that you pull the truck over, and they walk underneath and inspect and listen for air leaks and all this stuff. Well, long story short, they asked me, well, your driver's license says you require corrective lenses, or, you know, in other words, glasses or contact lenses. And I was immediately, what is this? I was immediately uh, honest. And I said, I had, you know, a couple of years ago, I had cataract surgery. And it did away with the necessity for, so I don't have contact lenses, I don't have glasses. Ah, uh, well, you're, you know, there's a discrepancy here. We, your license says you have to have them. We're not going to let you go. So I got stuck at the scale. I was there for about, I don't know, I guess it was about 24 hours I was there. So what ended up happening, I immediately notified my company that I was trapped at the scale. And uh, so they sent another driver to kind of, that bobtailed in and he picked the tree, he hooked onto the trailer that I had and took off with it. So then I spent the rest of the night there at the scale and then, uh, so the next morning I called, this was on a Sunday, I called uh, my company and I talked to some gal in the safety department. 
And we sort of back and forth determined, uh, you know, it might be a good idea to uh, confront them with the so-called full, well, I think it's, it's like a full version of the, uh, the, uh, oh, what is that called? Well, it's a physical but it's like a driver physical or commercial driver physical, but it's the, what do they, they have a term for it, but it's basically, it's like five pages long. So it's a long form, long form, long form of the physical. And so I've dug in my paperwork. I knew I probably had it. I had a copy of it, which I'm supposed to keep that they didn't ask for, by the way, when they did their inspection. They should have, really, they should have asked for that copy of the long form, and that might have solved the whole problem right there. But I found the long form, and uh, it says right on the front, no restrictions uh, at all. You know, they had cataract surgery, no, no, visual, no vision restrictions. So I took that in there to the same gal. This was the next morning in the scale that did the inspection the previous afternoon and she oh okay you can go well gee thanks <laughs> you know and she could look that stuff up that's why they didn't ask for it they could look it up electronically to they because it used to be they would always say if you were getting any kind of an inspection or whatever they'd say i want to see your driver's license and your physical card you had to have this paper physical card well, they don't. They no longer ask for that paper physical card because it's electron. It's in the system electronically. They want you to have a copy of it, but it's in the system electronically. Well, the problem with electronic documents is that people tend not to read them, and I'd say that's what happened with this. They had access to that that uh, the full form with the five pages. They didn't look. They just said, "Oh, it's valid. That's all I need to know." They didn't. They didn't look at it. So fortunately, I had the the paper copy of it, and I confronted her with it, and she looked at it. Okay, you're free to go. So that was kind of a a bit of a disaster, but uh, what do you do? Now, uh, the other thing that I've kind of been thinking about, uh, is, you know, it has kind of been weighing on my mind uh, or I've been thinking about it a lot more is the idea when should I retire from my job you know when should I do that and uh, so I've been it's and I've thought for some you know and I've said for some period of time I would kind of know when it was time to do it you know, I just know whenever the right, you know, just trust that I would know when the right time would come along. Well, I think the time is, you know, there's nothing in particular, no reason in particular, but other than I'm starting to think about it. So, I don't know. I, you know, it, it's possible, I don't have any distinct plans yet, but it's possible that, I could, let's say, quit this job next sometime next year. I don't know that that's going to happen. I don't have any distinct plans. But I do think that, uh, you know, in early January, I'm going to go ahead and sign up for Medicare, which, you know, I haven't done that. And didn't really need to because I've got company health insurance. 
of, so I don't really need the Medicare. You know, but uh, so if I go ahead and there's like a three month window, I can go ahead and sign up for that uh, as long as I'm still employed and have health care. I've got Blue Cross and Blue Shield. As long as that's, you know, I then I can sign up in, you know, the first three months of uh, the year. So that I think I'm going to sign up for that. That will be in place. And then I can. at that point once I have that in place and I can just kind of quit anytime I want to as but now I could do that anyway and then I have I think I've got uh, a period of like three months to sign up for Medicare let's say I quit and my regular health insurance is terminated I've got let's say 60 days or I'm, I'm not sure about the days it's 30 I know it's more than 30 I think it's like 60 days to sign up uh, or it might be a little more than that for uh, Medicare without having to pay an ongoing penalty now where people get in trouble let's say they just quit their job and then they go without health care for some period of time then they sign up for Medicare uh, after the age of 65 they sign up for Medicare and they haven't had healthcare insurance within a you know two or three months of when they're trying to sign up they have to have you know if they don't have that continuous coverage then uh, then they're going to pay a penalty and that penalty is ongoing you know if like uh, instead of just paying whatever the minimum whatever the amount is for the Medicare monthly then they're also paying a penalty on top of that so, you know, I, I won't have a penalty because I've got the health insurance already and I've had it the entire time. But uh, I do think, you know, it would be a, just go ahead and uh, I'm just going to go ahead and sign up for Medicare and in that way I'm sort of ready for it. There won't, you know, whenever I do determine that I'm going to quit the, this, then... Uh, there won't be any uh, sort of gap, uh, you know, in the coverage. And so I can just, and then if, let's say, I don't know, let's say I quit, you know, I quit working, quit this job, quit working, and then I, at some point I determine, I, I'm, you know, I want to maybe work part-time or whatever, then I can do that and not have to worry about uh, having some sort of health insurance from the part-time work because I can you know because then because I'll have the Medicare and, and I really don't intend to use it any you know any more than I've used the uh, the Blue Cross and Blue Shield I've used it very minimally and uh, so I absolutely don't intend for that to change. I know a lot of people think, oh, I've got all of the, you know, I've got my health insurance, and I'm going to get a free this and a free that, and they should pay for this test, and they should pay for that test, and all this stuff. I think that's kind of ridiculous. It's, you know, this idea that you're going to get something for nothing, or it's going to be free, quote-unquote, is complete BS. So I, you know, and any other problem, you don't want to, you really don't want to get entangled in the medical system if you can avoid it. Don't get your sleeve, 
you know, don't get your sleeve caught in the medical system or don't get your sleeve caught in the legal system. Uh, you're, you know, that's especially the legal system. You know, people go through hell if they get caught up in the kind of caught up in the legal system one way or another. So either, you know, <laughs> but you want to use any of those, like a med medical stuff, you want to, you know, my idea is to use it as sparingly as possible. And I, you know, and of course I go back to the idea and it's this idea, you know, it works for me. You know, maybe you could say it's an N of one, but uh, it really does seem to work that uh, if, you know, I've, correct you know my diet by really cutting the carbs out I really don't have uh, too many medical issues you know, very minimally so far so good we'll see if that continues there's a lot of people that have all kinds of issues that uh, you know they, they, they just drag on and on and on I've got this one friend that uh, called me up, uh, oh gosh, maybe a couple of weeks ago, called me up and told me uh, I hadn't heard from him for a while, and uh, called me up and told me he just, or he had been diagnosed with uh, colorectal cancer, you know, and I person, you know, of course I didn't, you know, I'm not going to preach at him. He, you know, he was very well, you know, he's been very well aware that I went on a low-carb diet and all that, so I've, I've talked to him extensively about that in the past, so I didn't, uh, I'm not going to preach at him now, but uh, I think that, there, you know, if you really was were able to honestly look at that, uh, there's a good chance that all this processed food is uh, which includes tons of carbohydrates uh, but all the processed food is what's really depending on the person's genetics uh, adding to the uh, possibility of colorectal cancer because it's probably if you're eating real food that actually grows you're probably not gonna it's not it's probably not as likely that you're going to end up with something like that but if you're eating stuff that's been heavily processed uh, on a regular basis you're really adding you know fuel to the fire and the other the other part you know if let's say you eat Twinkies uh, you know those that's not food sorry you could probably live on it for for some period of time. It would keep you from dying, but uh, that's you don't want a Twinkie diet. I can tell you that. So you want to eat real stuff that actually grows. You know, even if it's potatoes or rice, uh, that's better than you know eating a bunch of processed garbage. So. Uh, in any case, uh, the other part of that, what do you think cancer cells live on? They live on glucose. Cancer cells pretty much exclusively live on glucose. They, they can't live on fat. They can't live on protein. They, they need glucose. It, uh, and so that's what they use is glucose. 
I personally think that's why sometimes people can that have undiagnosed cancer can uh, all of a sudden they start losing they can start losing weight for no reason at all they haven't really changed their diet or anything and they start losing weight I think it's and it doesn't always happen this way but I think that uh, if that's the case if somebody starts losing you know has this unexplained weight loss and they haven't changed anything then uh, what's probably going on is they that uh, the cancer tumor is soaking up a lot of the excess glucose and it's as if they've gone on a low-carb diet to, to some extent. So that's one reason that someone would potentially lo start losing weight if they have a, like an undiagnosed cancer tumor, depending on how large it is. So, but that's something to keep in mind. Cancer cells live on glucose, and so you, you know, you want to be uh, dosing yourself up with excess glucose. You know, hey, bring on the glucose. I need, you know, I deserve it. You know, a lot of these ads that you see, you know, for. Uh, well, like I was at this, uh, I guess it was a Love's truck stop, I think it was, and then they had the sign on the, above the fuel pump, and it had these pictures of these really pretty, uh, like parfait type treats. And it's, what did that say? It said something to the effect, treat yourself. Something, something like that is how it was worded. Like, you know, you're indulge. It was indulge yourself indulge yourself and they have this thing of you know it's ice cream and god knows whatever chocolate and whatever else uh you know that's just all sugar indulge yourself yeah indulge your cancer tumor or your potential cancer tumor so <laughs> i could go on anyway uh so i've got uh two I actually I've got three Voxer files two of them are from uh, Jeremy and I apologize to you Jeremy Jeremy sent these right after I had the last podcast so I've had these Voxer files from Jeremy from about a month and a half ago so I got these files from Jeremy I'm going to play those first and then I have a more recent one uh, that came just a few days ago from Joel so we're going to start out first with Jeremy. So here is Jeremy. All right, Tom. I'm here driving. Uh, I feel like the only time I ever talk to you is when I'm taking long road trips. Maybe it's because it feels relatable all of a sudden. Maybe it feels like I'm worthy of uh, checking in with you. Um, but anyway, so I'm, uh, I'm taking a road trip right now, headed to Wisconsin to spend some time with my folks. Uh, they're getting older now, so I feel like it's important for somebody from the family to be there. Um, and hopefully, you know, but hopefully over time it gets to be more of like a routine of, you know, we have, I have three siblings and, you know, we can kind of switch out and spend time there. I have, I'm fortunate enough to have uh, pretty much the opposite setup that you have where I work from home. And um, so for me, work, being able to work from anywhere is a nice plus and that means at this time of life 
it's uh, good to be able to spend some time with them. And, um, and it's just, uh, I feel like a really nice benefit to have and a, a good perk to have at this point in their lives that I can be there, especially this time of year when it's kind of changing seasons and you're, I wouldn't say winterizing just yet, but kind of wrapping up like, you know, yard chores and all this stuff. I mean, they still like the place to look good, but, um, you know, dad's not getting around like he used to and mom's just had her second hip replacement. And so we've got all that stuff happening. And then they also kind of want the place to still look nice. And um, that means either hiring somebody or having somebody there. And uh, they're not keen on hiring people to poke around in their stuff. Which I don't blame them for, but, you know, I think it's something that they're probably going to have to just come to terms with. But, um, so I did, I did listen to your most recent episode of your podcast. It looks like you've been quiet for a couple months now since we're coming up on September. And it looks like your last, your last episode released end of July. So, um, and I just figured I would check in and say hello, but also I wanted to ask you a few things because I know I checked in a while ago and just kind of asked you about, um, uh some tesla autonomous driving stuff and um I, I also now that we're a little further along and there's actually some tesla trucks on the road i was curious if you'd seen any of them or if you'd um come across an opportunity to sit in one of them because one of the things i thought was really interesting about it was the form factor of having the cab sort of the driver centered in the middle of the cab and i was just curious like to me obviously it makes sense that uh, cars are designed that way, if possible, where the driver would be able to just kind of go straight down the middle of the lane. But then also, I kind of like being able to be right next to the the line on my left. So I don't know. I was just curious how you thought about that form factor. Well, let me go ahead and uh, answer that. No, I have not seen any Tesla trucks ever. Of course, I've seen pictures or whatever. But uh, never seen one in person. And I don't think there are that many. I think Pepsi-Cola maybe took possession of a few of them from what I've read. And, you know, and then I saw an article the other day. Elon Musk is, you know, is trying to get the government to come up with uh, what was it was like a hundred and something million dollars for uh, chargers for the trucks you know because they since they have such a giant batteries they've got to you know in order to charge in a reasonable period of time they they really have to put out some juice so it's interesting that they're you know musk is going back to uh or he's going to the government to ask for it, you know. But Musk is fond of saying, well, you know, we've done this all on our own and there's no government subsidies or whatever. Well, that's not true. It's just not the case. He's playing with words. Because what has happened, you know, there's been all these, uh, you know, so-called tax rebates or tax incentives or whatever, uh, tax credits, that's one thing that's kind of, and it, you know, did it encourage poor people to buy Teslas? No, it encouraged otherwise wealthy people to buy them. So they're tax incentives for uh, fairly wealthy people that want to, you know, have their toy Tesla. Essentially, if we're going to be honest about it, and uh, 
then the other thing that is really screwy that nobody really talks about I haven't haven't really heard anybody talk about it but uh, you know the government the federal government has uh, they've allocated uh, to all these different companies uh, you know like uh, so I guess uh, carbon offsets you know, so every company, you know, these big car companies or, you know, and maybe other types of companies, but car companies for sure have these carbon offsets. So they're able to sell them, to sell the carbon offsets. So Tesla, or they're able to buy, excuse me, they're able, you know, so they're able to buy, to sell the carbon offsets. So Tesla has all these carbon offsets. So they've sold them to companies like uh, Chrysler, Ford, General Motors. They've sold these, you know, so that they can go on producing their, uh, you know, their their internal combustion engines, you know, to the tune of billions of dollars going to Tesla for selling these so-called carbon offsets. And so that is the only reason that Tesla's been able to say to claim that they've been profitable, and that's a government manipulation of the market. If there were no government manipulations of the market, Tesla couldn't exist as it has. Uh, it just you know because there there'd be no incentive you know unless people wanted if people want to buy their toy Tesla that's fine. You know, but the government's been trying to manipulate people into doing it. Uh, you know, and so Tesla's been able, you know, got largely exists on uh, the back of the federal government, which that's just completely dishonest. You know, let's just put it out there the way it's supposed to be. You know, if I at one time I was consider, you know, I few you go back a few years, I was considering buying a, like an, or, you know, or I was seriously considering like a, a Model Three when it was first announced, and you know, and I was kind of infatuated with the idea for a period of time, and then I, ah, I'm not going to do it, uh, too many negative things, and so I didn't, you know, but I can see the appeal of them. You know, if you can afford it, go for it. You know, and I, in some cases it may work for you. If you're just driving around town, you don't have to make any long trips, and it's a second car for you, then fine. I have at it. But, uh, you know, the government, the only reason that it's, that it's been able to, quote-unquote, become profitable is due to the fact that there's uh, the government is severely interfering in the marketplace. With the tax, they'll call tax credits and carbon offsets. So companies like Chrysler, General Motors, and Ford have been paying Tesla billions of dollars uh, in order to, you know, to to go ahead and uh, produce the uh, internal combustion engines. So that's a, that is a federal government interference. But they're trying to force us all into, you know, into somebody's ideology. You know, this this green, you know, so-called, you know, it's like a green religion. 
you know, where everything's, you know, it's this idea that everything's going to run on electricity. Well, fine and dandy, you're going to have to come up with a hell of a lot more electricity, and it's not going to be wind and solar. You know, and I'm, I'm, you know, I have solar panels myself, but I've, I've used them. I, when I got the solar panels, I did not try to get a, any kind of a government credit, which I could have, or like a tax offset. Could have easily done that. I chose not to. Simply paid for it out of my own damn pocket, and it. And I've used it to uh, offset, you know, because my particular electric company gives me a one-to-one exchange for uh, kilowatt hours and I, that my solar panels generate. So I've got kilowatt hours in the bank right now. You know, eventually I'm going to use them up because of the, uh, you know, the, uh, yeah, well, you know, eventually I'm going to use them up because I got the heat pump. And uh, once I retire, and I'm using that heat pump a lot more often than I am when I'm gone in the winter and the summer, then I'm going to use all those carbon, those carbon, or not carbon credits, but uh, kilowatt hour credits. I'm going to eventually use them up. And at that point, the solar panels will simply offset part of my usage. Part of my ongoing usage, I'll, because I'll be generating some of my own kilowatt hours, but not all of them. And I'm prepared for that. So, but it's, uh, you know, and then as far as the trucks, you know, I don't know how, you know, because initially Elon Musk was claiming, oh, it could go 500 miles on a battery or whatever. I would rather, I want to see that because a lot of these, like this F-150 pickup, the electric pickup uh, from Ford, uh, you know, it's fine and dandy. It'll go a couple hundred miles or however many miles if it's empty. But if you put a trailer, you know, you put a substantial trailer behind it, you're lucky if it'll go a hundred miles on a single charge. So that's just not practical. So it's not not for the real world the way people really use things and I seriously doubt that this you know an electric semi truck is going to do that now as far as the uh, putting the steering wheel in the center I don't know if you've ever noticed it or not there are actually a few trucks running around they're typically like cement trucks you know like if you see a, somebody delivering cement so like a mixer type truck, you'll see a few once in a while, and, there, and I don't see it very often, but once in a while you'll see one where the uh, it's a very special truck that's a, it's a, like a cement mixer truck, and the uh, driver's position is in the center. And so those types of trucks have existed for years, but they're, they're pretty rare. But once in a while, I'll I'll see one, uh, but it's a, it's, and that's a fairly rare occurrence. But something like that does exist. I've never driven anything like that. Uh, really, at the end of the day, it's just what you get used to. Because you you can uh, like the type of truck that I have now, which is you know so-called conventional with the motor you know kind of out in the front. 
you know, that's got a certain steering position, whereas the old cab overs, the cab over trucks, uh, the the uh, steering wheel was positioned even farther to the left, you know, like a good foot or more to, uh, to the left of where a conventional cab uh, steering wheel is. And so you just get used to it. You know, and, and, and it doesn't, typically, it doesn't take, as my experience, it, it didn't take long, you know, because there was a period of time where I drove a lot of cab over trucks. You go back a number of years when cab overs were still in use in the United States. Uh, I got used, easily got used to it, and I could kind of, you know, and then whenever I went back to a conventional truck, uh, quickly got used to that. So you quickly uh, get used to whatever vehicle you're driving has been my experience as far as, uh, you know, you're able to quickly adapt to it. So, but the idea that, you know, you're gonna do that as a matter of course, uh, I don't know if that's such a, you know, it's not a, it's, it doesn't appeal to me. Cause there's no reason that, well, the reason that I can tell you why the reason that uh, that uh, steering wheels are either positioned to the left or to the right is because the engine is in the middle. So if you're going to have a physical linkage, uh, it makes sense that it's either going to be to the left of the engine or to the right of the engine. So that's why. Now, of course, you know you could, especially with the electric steering, you know, electric. Uh, that a lot of vehicles have now you could put you know like in your car that there's no reason why they couldn't design a car well they have to have still have to have a physical linkage but they could in theory design a car so that you put the steering wheel in the center uh, but that just doesn't it makes more sense to either put it you know if you're gonna have two people in the front seats it makes more sense to, to put the steering wheel either on the left or the right so but I don't know, you know, the Tesla likes to make people think they're doing things that are just super innovative, uh, you know, whatever. But uh, in any case, back to Jeremy. Um, I'm, I'm probably, because I don't want my messages to go on too long, I might break up my, uh, my messages if I have different uh, questions I have for you or topics. I rather not just like put it in one big long message um so i might break this up into a few and uh, i guess i should have thought about whether or not you might be sleeping right now uh, because it's almost 11 o'clock at night where i am driving on um interstate 70 through pennsylvania at the moment headed uh westbound um so yeah so i'm on the turnpike uh headed to midwest um born and raised in wisconsin so that's where i'm going to be for a little while it's like they've just finished having a heat wave so maybe i'll actually be able to enjoy some some nice uh normal weather for a little while i haven't been there since the spring which was gorgeous and uh so i'm looking forward to spending some time there again um so i was curious i know i know um for me i i, I really don't I'm not too much into politics uh, these days. Um, and everybody, all anybody is talking about now is like how many times Trump has been indicted or arrested or whatever. Um, but I was just curious as to like your thoughts about uh, a 
I, I've been thinking a lot about this idea of like finding common ground with people because one of the things that I hear from candidates like Vivek is, uh, is, hey, we all have more in common than we, we do um, than, we, than we don't. And I, it, was, it was interesting while I was listening to your latest podcast talking about uh, the channel Peter Santinella, or Santinella, I can't remember which one it was. But it was really interesting to me how, uh, how we're sort of like on the same rabbit hole there because I recently also found that channel and I started watching the, the videos about Appalachia um, and continued to watch more of Peter's videos. And so uh, it was just really interesting how it's been a while since I checked in with your podcast, but when I did, you were actually in, like doing the same thing I was. And so it makes me think that maybe the, uh, that you and I are being fed similar things from the YouTube algorithm, which I guess shouldn't be surprising since I'm guessing you probably agree on a lot of stuff. Um, but when you're talking about the Amish community and how they are intentionally isolated from the rest of society, um, you know, I think that's a theme of, of uh, some of Peter's conversations when he talks to, you know, like the guy who lives out in the forest in Kentucky and, and uh, hasn't had running water or electricity in, in years. Like, those people are always um, bringing a perspective of, sure, I don't have any of the, the you know, fine things that other people have. And um, I would hate that because I would have to work all the time just to have you know, what I have. And he's like, out here, I can work, and I can just kind of, like, grow what I need and, you know, sell the rest, and I'm, it's all good. Uh, they certainly don't seem unhappy, but, you know, then that's also a conscious choice. Like, they chose that lifestyle. And so I wonder if that's, like, the key difference. Okay, I want to interrupt again. That's a very good point. Because if you choose something... If you just stop and think about this for a little bit, if you choose something, you're probably more likely to kind of enjoy your choice, let's say. And I think that's where people tend to sometimes go off the rails because they think, well, if, you know, I made this choice and, you know, and it's based on my system of faith and it all is based on faith. We all, uh, as I've talked about probably, you know, extensively in the past, uh, we have key axioms that uh, we sort of base our minds on. So we have these key axioms, and sometimes the axioms can be wrong, and sometimes they can, you know, heaven forbid if they're, if you know, they can be right, or heaven forbid if they're wrong. Because then we kind of base we come up with uh, working models of what you know of reality you know and of course nowadays you hear well people say well this is my reality uh there is the reality but there's no such thing as my really my reality i mean you can twist that around you know because i could say my reality based on uh what I do for a living, you know, then then I have my reality, but it's actually the reality based on what I do, you know. It's just that I'm doing it, I can call it mine. Uh, but people also twist things around and they think that they can, you know, that if they can just 
believe something that's not true and somehow it's going to make it true. Well, it's, that's not the way it works. That's not the way faith works. Uh, you know, you put faith, we put faith into to, to the systems. <coughs> you know, <coughs> excuse me. We put faith, our faith goes into to our sort of working model of reality. You know, we, you know, so if I come up with a good working model of what I, you know, uh, based on uh, my existence in, the, in the, the real world that I have to exist in, then I sort of put faith into that. I put faith into the idea that I'm able to, you know, I've come up with best practices, let's say for driving. I've come up with the uh, best practices, and then you know if, and then all of a sudden, if uh, I run into to a situation where that system of faith uh, fails, then I, you know, if I'm diligent, then I'm going to adjust my model, my working model of what I think reality is. Uh, I'm going to, you know, adjust my idea of what the best practices are, you know. But if I you know, I follow the, my be, my system of best practices. Then, uh, and if those are pretty close to the real world, then they tend to be successful. You know, so I, I put my faith into you know into these systems that I've you know, but there but it, it really is a f kind of a faith based system. But I can't suddenly decide. Well, I'm. Uh, I don't like that, and so I'm gonna. I'm just gonna have faith that uh, something else is gonna happen. I don't have to follow this best practice. Some, you know, I can just believe this, and and somehow my belief in in something that's not true is gonna change things. Well, that's not the way faith really works, in my opinion. So, but we're all. Everything is based on faith. We're putting our faith into our working models. Uh, you know, so hopefully we have the correct axioms that we're basing it on. You know, but there's a, a lot of people end up uh, kind of not having, because we're human beings, we can kind of see what we want to see sometimes or, you know, could, or believe what we want to believe and kind of get ourselves in trouble. The, a good example of that that I've given in the past is like when I... you. I think anybody that drives very long has come up, you know, you've, we've probably all had the experience, you come up to the intersection, like a cross street, you have a stop sign, and you stop, and you look to the left, and you look to the right, and you're about to go, and then all of a sudden this vehicle comes whizzing by, and that, you know, well, that came out of nowhere. No, it didn't. It was there the whole time. You just didn't see it. You know, and, and there's reasons why you didn't see it. Yeah, because your brain has to be able, to, your brain recognizes the patterns. And if you just, if you didn't uh, really look for the pattern diligently, you didn't really look, then you just kind of see what you want to see. You, and it's just, you know, and just because you don't see it or your brain didn't recognize the pattern doesn't mean that it's not there. So, you know, then you... If you understand that, then when I've any time I come up to an intersection like that where the cross traffic doesn't stop, I'll look to the left and I look to the right and I really look to make sure that I'm not missing something. 
you know, because you, you can have the odd vehicle that's going super fast or whatever, but that's why it's a good idea to really look and not just assume. But we make these, you know, our, the problem is we sort of automate these systems, you know, so you kind of your brain sort of automates everything. And that's where you can get into trouble because if, then if something out of the ordinary happens and you're not looking for something out of the ordinary to happen, you'll say, well, you know, uh, that's why people will say, well, I, I never in a million years thought that uh, this would happen or that would happen. Well, yeah, you weren't looking for it. You know, why did you have the flat tire? Well, I didn't, I didn't realize that the tire was flat. Or I didn't, you know, so look for it. you got to look for it. Uh, and that's just, you add something like that to your your best practice. So, uh, but uh, getting back to the point, if you, you know, if you choose something, you know, people choose, let's say someone chooses to be a vegan or vegetarian, and they think that's just the greatest thing since sliced bread, they want to force force everyone to do it. Well, we'll just force these people. They're going to love it. No, they won't. They didn't choose it. I could do the same thing, you know, with the low-carb diet. I could say, well, I could just, if I had my way, I would force everyone to do a low-carb diet. Well, that, you know, not everybody's going to like that. You know, <laughs> might be good for them, but, uh, you, know, you know, there's no way that I would ever... Uh, force everyone to do that or even think that we should be forced into it or coerced in any way if you make the choice to do something then chances and if you've really thought about it chances are if you make the choice to actually do something or live a certain way then you're probably going to like that and more you know more power to that guy in the because I watched that video you know where the guy had all of you know he was uh in Kentucky and he had, you know and he had a kind of an Amish type of lifestyle that but he wasn't Amish himself and he you know he was happy as can happy as a clam happy as could be well more power to him you know and that, and it was interesting to watch because the guy was uh, you could tell how excited the guy was that you know it really worked for him that's not going to work for it wouldn't work for me and it would there's a ton of people that just would not work for so that uh, we, you know, if we are able to make a choice, the point is, if we're able to choose something, we deliberately choose to do something, then it uh, is vastly different response than if you're forced to do something. Because if you're forced to do something, uh, you know, we're all, you know, if, if you can choose to do something, that uh, you have it physiologically, psychologically, spiritually, but even physiologically, you have a, a completely different reaction. If you if you choose to do, let's say you choose to do something difficult, that's uh, you're going to have a different reaction and a different mindset than uh, and a completely different reaction than you would if you were forced to do something. You know, like I, you know. Ch you know, choose to drive a truck. That's not an easy job, and, and but if someone was forced into doing it, uh, 
you know, I could see, or any sort of job, if they were forced into it, they didn't choose it, if they were forced into it, uh, you know, it's not going to be a pleasant experience. But if you choose to do something, you know, that's difficult, you make the choice, then that, that makes all the difference. So, uh, anyway, back to listening. There doesn't seem to be, in the Appalachia videos, one of the things that I noticed, and I think one of the things I do notice when I go through places like I'm, like I'm going now, through like uh, you know, the Rust Belt or through, um, you know, like we've, my daughters and I have taken a trips through West Virginia and we stopped at some of the coal mining towns there. Uh, there's some cool museums in like uh, Beckley, Virginia, like the coal mining museum. And, um, and just when you talk to people, they're just, you know, crazy friendly to a fault and um and just really nice kind people and that's what peter also discovered as he went back in some of the hollers that he did is you know sure there's some seedy characters here and there but by and large people are very welcoming and very kind and yes they stick together and in a way that's also isolating them from what's going on elsewhere but you're sort of either on uh, one side one or the other side of like uh, you're controlled by drugs because you probably feel really isolated from society and you feel like it's a, a bad thing. And on the other side, you're sort of like, well, you know, I've worked hard, I make my way, and we all stick together out here, which is another sort of, you know, it's kind of like the opposite take on you don't have a lot of opportunity, but you're going to kind of just like power through it and, you know, hope for the best. And um, obviously, that's a whole different uh, type of character that develops out of that from adversity. And um, one of the things that I've always, well, I shouldn't say I've always, like, I've, I've, I guess I've always worried about it since becoming a father is that I'm kind of conscientious about not wanting my kids to suffer without, um, like, to not have things the way that I didn't have things. And whether it's conscious or subconscious, I think there's just kind of a part of you that's like, I just don't want them to lack um, opportunity or I don't want them to spend time worrying about, like, I don't want them to go to bed hungry. Uh, but beyond that, it's like, I honestly don't even want them to think about, like, do we have enough money or not? So I've always been very driven to earn more money, to, um, to keep the fridge full, to um, you know, not put too much like stress like uh, about financial things on you know, the rest of the family. Um, I kind of try to keep that on myself, you know, as the provider. I see that as certainly my my role. Um, but I also think that you know that that's probably not going to be a good thing for them in the long run. Where you're sort of like, well, they never had to worry about the value of money or think about it. Like they they start getting an allowance and. They have debit cards and things like that, that, you know, yes, if they overspend, they're going to run out of money. So they have to learn about saving or waiting for, waiting to have enough money to buy the things they want. But realistically, like, you know, Christmas and birthdays roll around, they kind of get everything they wanted anyway. Um, and, and, and I will say too, like to their credit, they've never wanted a lot. Like they've never needed things, but they've also never been materialistic. Um, they enjoy things like buying secondhand clothes. I mean, I think a lot of kids think that's cool, but also like there is something to be said for they don't feel like they want to go to the mall every weekend. Like they just don't. Like, they hate shopping. Um, when they do shop, it's because like oh they're they're going on a hike or something, and so they need boots or something like that. 
So I'm, I'm actually, you know, I'm pretty happy about how that turned out. Like they don't seem uh, materialistic or obsessed with having the, the newest, best thing. Um, and that could certainly be something that, you know, comes from not having to think about much about, or, or that, that I think is the positive side of not worrying about having things is that it just doesn't occur to you that, you know, that there's a shortage of things out there that you would ever have to worry about having that. And so, you know, you're not worried about like where your next paycheck is coming or anything like that. My oldest kid is now transitioning from being, you know, a college graduate to now having to figure out how she's going to pay for her student loans and things like that. I did, you know, I made, I made, I made these money, but I never made enough to like put a bunch of money aside for my kid's college fund. Um, so there are student loans involved and, you know, she went to an expensive school. So now it's like, uh, I feel that it's my it's my role and obligation to help her uh, pay off her student loans in some way, but I also want that to be you know, partly on her. So uh, my idea was to front load the most of my help. So I can certainly co-sign um, refinance thing, but ultimately, you know, this is going to be her loan, and so I could you know I could say I structure it so that I'm paying you know, a really big percentage on the front end. And then every year, it just kind of like the monthly contribution from me tails off. And that's kind of my way of helping her get her footing in the professional space, knowing that, you know, for, for, for one thing, right, right now, the job market is just ridiculous. Um, this economy is, is trash. And I don't care what people in the White House are saying, that there's so many jobs and not enough people. Like, those are, those are you know, like, those are not the kind of jobs that college graduates want. Um, but also like, again, like, I don't think my, my kid's not being super pretentious about like demanding to have a certain type of job. Like she's applying to a broad range of jobs. And I think she understands like she's going to have to take her licks. Like it's not like she's going to just fall into, you know, uh, making like, you know, 75, 80 a year. Like she's going to have to do her time and work her way up. And I think she's okay with that, but like along with that comes this real concern around like, man, how like student loans are expensive, and um, I think you know intuitively you know that going in, the kids don't understand like how expensive it's very predatory. Like there's there's just no way for a kid, especially my kid, who again never had to really think about the value of money. There's no way for them to truly understand. I mean, you can sit them down, you can talk about, it, you can say like, you know, this is probably going to be like a twenty year. Uh, you know, you're gonna, it's probably going to be 20 years for you to pay this off in a, in a world where you're making you know, payments or whatever, you know, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be 20 years that this is following you around and that's going to keep you from being able to buy a car or buy a house, like whatever, like all those things that you would normally want to do when you kind of start out in the real world. Um, so I really see it as like crucial part of my role in their lives is to help them undo that like make sure that that is not a negative um like uh, like that's not uh, something that they can't overcome but also like make it challenging for them to to take it on uh, over time and maybe that's maybe i'm just prolonging you know maybe it should be one of those like tear off the band-aid kind of prospects where it's like well you know you wanted to go to that school and i told you it was expensive you know but i feel like that would be that would be kind of needlessly cruel. Um, and I think that there's, there's, it's already pretty clear. I think it's crystallizing for her 
how far the money's going to go just based on the fact that you know she now works two jobs and she's uh had to pay her own bills um and she's had to make her uh student loan last for like housing and, and food and things like that she's had to budget the money and make it make it uh last so i don't know like i feel like that's one of those lessons that we kind of um we don't do a good job of making our kids ready for i mean i think it probably would have been a mistake if we would have just you know even if we had saved up a bunch of money and like paid for that college uh experience i think maybe that she might value it even less um not not to say that she doesn't value it but i'm saying I feel like if you have skin in the game, even if it's after the fact, you're going to appreciate the opportunity you had um, and try harder to make something of it. So I think maybe, you know, um, I would have preferred that she picked a different major, but also, like, I'm really proud of... Okay, well, the file just ended. Now, Jeremy, there's another, like, a five-minute file that he sent, so uh, I think he probably realized that he ran into the uh, Voxer time limit. But uh, in any case, uh, I don't know, you know, if you encouraged her to go to school, which, you know, I know most parents probably do encourage their kids to go to college or whatever, you know, and and this is going to have to be something that you think about. If you really strongly encouraged her to go to college, then uh, maybe you are obligated to kind of help her uh, pay the student loan, you know, because you kind of influenced her that way. But, you know, in this day and age now, I would, uh, you know, kind of knowing what I know, if I were a parent, which I'm not and I never will be, but if I were, I would, uh, the way I would handle it, I would encourage the child to, you know, kind of make their own decision. What do you want to do? do you, you know, because at this point, you, you know, there are plenty of, I think there, and this is true for right now and probably ongoing, there are plenty of non-college jobs that can end up paying pretty well like the job I'm doing right now uh, actually pays quite well Uh, it's been a while since I've looked I'm just gonna go ahead and open this uh, app up didn't really think about this but I'm gonna go ahead and open this I have an ADP app that uh, Let's see here. So let's open this up. And somewhere, it's either in here or it's in this other app. Let's see. It may be in the other app. It gives me like a rolling average of what I've made in the last 12 months. The gross. Let's see. Where's that at? Uh... Where is that at? I think it's there. Compensation report. Okay, downloaded. There's the PDF. Okay, rolling 12 months. Okay, so my rolling 12 month 
for total pay, rolling 12 months, and this is before taxes. This is right as of right now. Uh, so this is uh, September the 13th. Uh, total compensation before taxes is 91669 Now, of course, I've been driving a truck for years, and I've worked for this particular company for... Uh, about 18 years or so or, or you know at least 18 years probably plus and uh, so I'm I've for some time I've been at the top you know the top mileage pay but you know that's 91,669 before taxes for the last that's a rolling average for the last so that's uh, basically the rolling average for the past 12 months. That's not for the year, but the past 12 months. So that goes into last year as well. So, and that's pretty consistent from what I've seen, you know, in recent couple of years. So there, you know, if you, you, you know, if, and it depends on the kid, if they want to, excuse me, if they want to be a plumber or something like that, then they can probably make pretty good money uh, depending on the type of job, they can make pretty good money that doesn't require a college degree. Now, like a plumber, for example, would be uh, that would be a job where they do have to go th through a, like a, an apprenticeship or training type period. But uh, there are jobs that are like that where people can make some pretty decent money. Uh, you know, but I know a lot of people have been tricked into the idea that uh, you get the college degree and then somehow you're just going to step into a job that uh, pays, you know, lots of money. And that's just not necessarily the case. And then a lot of times, even if people do get a college degree or even if they train to do something, uh, you know, we all know people plenty of people that have trained to do this or trained to do that or uh, they've gone to call they've got a major in this and a major in that and they don't and you know they don't end up doing that and that's super super common for people to not do what they've trained for so uh, you know if the you know, so like I say, the basic point I wanted to make, if you feel like you've sort of uh, really encouraged her or even pressured her into uh, going to college, then, you know, then you, you know, you're kind of obligated, I think, to, as a parent, you're probably sort of obligated to help pay for it. Now, in her case, if she went to an extra expensive school, then you know you could possibly look at well what would the school have cost uh, like a cheaper like a state school or something and not some you know super duper college that's got a, the big name uh, if she just went to some like a like a state college or something uh, where she could get some sort of education what would the cost difference between that and the the high priced college she went to then you know kind of make you know make her pay for the the extra you know 
it's like I'm gonna buy you uh, you know this car but uh, you know I you know I'm gonna allow let's say I'm gonna I'm gonna pay ten five thousand ten thousand dollars for this used car but if you want the something special beyond that you have to work and pay for it so that that might be one way uh, an effective way of approaching it of you know deciding how much you want to actually the portion that you're going to pay versus what she has to pay so that's you know that's that that's just an idea that I'm you know throw would throw out there for anyone with a kid going to college but uh, Unfortunately, in this day and age, the colleges have been uh, really corrupted, and uh, people—you know—there's millions of people have grad that have graduated from college, and they—you know—they've got—they uh, were maleducated. So that you know, and that's that's kind of been an ongoing problem, you know, because. Uh, a lot of this, even in grade school and high school, I always felt that uh, there was tons of the education that didn't really apply to, the, didn't really apply to the practical world. You know, so you know, and that's you know, because the problem is, you know, ch children are naturally curious. How do, how is it that they l learn how to speak language? You know that's a miracle, and it's out of their own. They're out out of their own necessity to exist, out of their own curiosity, and it's a lot of it's a mystery. How does that happen? How do they learn to do something as complicated as speak language, and you know, and even function in the world as a child? How does that happen? You know, and so they're naturally curious, and so I think, you know. The school system sort of uh, screws around with the uh, natural curiosity the kids have, and it sort of discounts that. And and then it, it uh, you know you, you can, you, the image that I like to have of uh, grade school, and this applies even when I was in school, grade school and high school. You have each grade level, and you, you know it's like you're, they're on a conveyor. Imagine the kids on a conveyor belt with a a funnel stuck in the top of their head and they're just kind of pouring all this knowledge into the funnel in each grade as the as the uh, conveyor belt advances you know and so the one size fits all and I think that's ridiculous the, the kind of the thing that really because I didn't I really didn't apply myself when I was in school to be quite frank and I knew that I wasn't applying myself. I knew I could have done better, but I just didn't care. So the thing that really saved me was that, uh, you know, because uh, when I was in grade school in particular, uh, uh, in Kansas, we lived in all these little small towns and all of these, most of the schools had really good libraries. You know, and then a lot of the little towns had library, you know, like a city library. So I would spend a lot of time uh, in the library. You know, I remember, you know, just being curious about this and curious about that. And I would be, you know, kind of reading through encyclopedias and uh, checking out different books just because, just out of my own curiosity. 
you know and of course nowadays uh, with the internet uh, <laughs> I've gone completely crazy with that you know because I, I, a great deal of the time I'm you know I'm just curious about this and curious about that and you know there's you know especially like with YouTube you can find uh, information on all kinds of different things now people you know people will say oh well you can't the YouTube creators, uh, they're just trying to make money out of it. Okay, that's fine. But uh, some of them, you know, some of the stuff, yeah, it could be, if it's political, it could be slanted. But, uh, and I've, I, lately, I've just really, sh you know, shied away from the political stuff. I did not watch this so-called Republican debate. I've really shied away from it. I don't, you know, I'm just going to wait until the election. And if Trump's on the ballot, I'm going to vote for Trump. And uh, but otherwise, you know, I'm not getting into political arguments with people. It's just completely stay away from that. And because uh, you're never going to win the argument, never going to convert somebody to your point of view. Uh, all you can do at best is. Uh, not even necessarily try to show them evidence because you know if evidence doesn't fit into your model of the world even if it's real evidence you just discount it you throw it away it's just I don't you know don't care about that and everyone works that way we all work on a system of faith and it really is faith We really put faith into our models of how the world works, you know, we're, we're, and hopefully we're consciously attempting to upgrade those uh, models so that they work, you know, so that they're as functional as possible in the real world. And that's, that's about as best as you can possibly do. What's the best practice in, in, in any given situation? What is the best practice? And then really attempt to uh, adopt those best practices and then uh, modify them accordingly when, when they fail. Because the models always fail. You know, there's always some failures. You should always be, in other words, you should always be learning new things. You know, because there's things that uh, you just don't know. We can't, it's not possible for us to know everything. So... Uh, but uh, a lot of people have ended up being duped into taking out student loans. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a kind of a terrible situation for a lot of people, uh, you know. But, it, again, if I had a kid, and, or if I was just giving a kid, some, somebody asked me, should I go to college? That's up to you. Do you, you know, what, what do you what do you want to do? Would you rather, you know, because you could probably do just as well making money right now doing something that you enjoy, as opposed to, uh, you know, and it's hard to figure out what you want to do. That's certainly true too. So there's tons of adults that don't know what they want to do. So that's a, a very common thing. But uh, I would really caution people against the idea of just jumping into college thinking that that's just an automatic ticket to, 
to a good career and money and a good life because it's not. That's uh, a lie that a lot of people have bought, have ended up buying into. So, anyway, uh, Jer- I've got more from Jeremy. So here's Jeremy. Um, I think I was saying that I'm, I'm actually really proud of the work that she did, um, even though I would have probably picked a different major for her uh, to graduate with. Because to me, like I wanted it to be something really marketable, like be an architect or an engineer or whatever. But I also can't foist what I want on on, on her and. If, I, if I'm honest about it and I look back at my own college experience, you know, what I'm doing today really has nothing to do with what I studied in school either. So um, I probably shouldn't stress about that, but I can't say on the flip side of that, I also paid a fraction of what she's paying for that education. So I would feel like there's a real ROI component there where my bar is set much lower than hers. So I don't know. Um, I think that that's just been weighing on me. Like, you know, am I am I doing more damage by helping, um, or is that now sort of my responsibility for allowing it to happen and allowing it to, allowing them to set up, set that get set up the way they are? With you know, I had to co-sign that loan. Like, you know, we, it's not like she picked that school on her own. You know, there was, and you know, we were taking her on college trips and kind of like making it clear, like. Hey, if you get accepted, like you get to go there. That, that was one of those things. But um, you know, with the second kid, it's very much like, you know, scholarships and uh, you know, real a real emphasis on um, putting in the effort ahead of time and you know, getting a summer job and um, you know, grinding it out a little bit more, I guess, and taking on more responsibility at a younger age, so that you're you know that you're more appreciative of the money that you do have and then kind of make, doing a doing a more effective job of making your own way and i think maybe you know the the first kid doesn't they get sort of screwed a little in a way because you also don't know what you're doing as a parent like that's the first time i ever had a kid go to college i think ever since i went to school i've just been assuming that you know student loans were going to be a thing like they were a thing for me and they're going to be a thing for my kid and um, you know, yeah, we weren't ever making enough money to just sock a bunch away. We invested heavily in their education as they grew up and you know, hope that it would pay off someday. I'm still hopeful of that, but I also think like this plan where I have where like, hey, I pay 80% upfront and then, you know, every year I pay 10% less or something like that. Like to me, that's like, well, now you, in, in, in seven or eight years, like they're paying the full amount. And then hopefully during that time, they've also been able to you know, over like contribute to the principal in a significant way because hopefully they'll be set up. Um, hopefully they'll be set up with a good, well, a good paying job by then and just kind of have put some money away. So um, I, I'm glad we've been able to help the way we've been and that we've been able to have a good situation where we can, um, you know, like I was able to hand down an old one of my, you know, my old car to her. And, that way she had something to you know drive back and forth to school and she didn't have to make car payments and insurance payments and all that stuff. A lot of kids don't have that opportunity and I don't know that she necessarily appreciates it now, but I think someday she really will look back and say like that, you know, she had she had a bit of an edge that maybe she didn't appreciate at the time, but now she certainly does. And I know kids are kids are kids are kids and they're not gonna appreciate that in the moment because they don't have the life experience and the you know the broader perspective that this time and experience offers you so 
I'm going to just go ahead and have to be patient there and hope that it works out and just like, hey, you know, they're smart kids. They'll figure it out in, in a lot of ways. Like, you know, they'll be resourceful. But part of me just wishes, like, I don't know, that kids coming out of college would be forced to stop and think about things for a year rather than just jump on the conveyor belt that brings them to, you know, getting recruited into a college or whatever, just getting sucked into going to some liberal arts um, program that is, you know, 60% fluff and nonsense and indoctrination. And then you've got, you know, uh, maybe like 35, 40% of your classes are actually applicable to your major and actual like work that you might do someday. Um, and which results in like, you know, a college that really didn't really help with, you know, career planning or connecting with recruiters or job opportunities after the fact that there's just very little effort on their part. So I think it's just an expectation like, well, you get to go to our school and you're, you're part of the family now. You get this big name school that you have on your resume now and that should be enough. I don't know, man. Like when I'm hiring people, I don't care if they came from a prestigious school. Like they still have to impress me. They still have to, you know, they can't, they can't seem entitled. They have to seem eager. They have to seem curious. They have to seem humble, like all those things. And I just don't, I don't really care necessarily, especially uh, once they're you know, well into their career. Um, I, I honestly sometimes don't even look at where they went to school. So I don't know, like maybe it, maybe it does matter for people who are just starting out at like junior associate levels, but um, I don't know. I just don't see it as that big of a deal. Anyway, all right, Tom, I'm going to wrap this up. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll leave you be, and hopefully you're happy and healthy and uh, staying safe out there. Talk to you soon. Okay, well, thank you, uh, Jeremy. Uh, yeah, so the kid, you know, you're aware of it. Uh, you know, a lot of it's just indoctrination. I really don't think that, uh, you know, going to the big name school is so impressive with an employer you know maybe it the only people that it really impresses is uh, maybe people that uh, went to that school you know because I I watch these you know there I you know I listen to a ton of YouTube videos and so sometimes you know you somebody's given a talk let's say somewhere and they'll go through all of these credentials, you know, they, you know, they graduated from Harvard and they did the, like some sort of fellowship with this or fellowship with that. And, you know, and they're sort of impressing the, you know, the person introducing them sort of impressing the audience that they should, you should listen because we've got all these, these right buzzwords, essentially open your minds because they're saying, uh, you know, Harvard or Yale or, <laughs> or whatever, uh, you know, so they have the Fulbright scholarship or whatever it is, uh, you know, or and something or other fellow or whatever, you know, the jargon is. So, you know, and, and so I don't know, I, I think that uh, you're right. Uh, once people have some experience, then it's all about the experience. It really is. They don't, you know, they don't care. You know, what what is your experience? You know, what can you, what have you uh, done? You know, what's your experience? How do you comport yourself, etc., etc.? So, uh, 
You know, and there's a lot of companies now that are, that have actually dropped the requirement for college degrees. That's also a thing as well. You know, because for a while, part of it, you know, for a while, you know, companies were saying, oh, you have to have a college degree to do this or a college degree to do that. And there were a lot of companies that kind of jumped on that bandwagon, which it ended up kind of encouraging all these people to go to college, get their college degrees, and, you know, and then they ended up in debt. You know, and they, that provided the opportunity for the colleges to indoctrinate them you know, really screw their minds over. And they're being indoctrinated into kind of a, a worldview, which is basically sort of like a religion. They're sort of structuring their minds so that uh, they all think kind of the same way. You know, which is terrible. That's one of the big problems uh, with human beings is, you know, for, for one thing, we all like I say, we our minds are structured so that we work off of a system of faith. Our the brain create we we're, we create models working hopefully functional working models of the world that we exist in. You know, but that's it's a faith based system. So if you deliberately screw people's minds over and indoctrinate them into you know sort of this left wing ultra liberal green mindset uh, you know you, you got a terrible problem and so that's that's one of the reasons you know like I was one of the things I was uh, watching the other day or listening to this woman wrote this uh, book it's well, let's see if I can remember the name of it uh, green oh shoot I posted the link to it on uh, Facebook. It's like, oh, Green Jim Crow. I don't remember the author's name. It was a woman. So the idea being that uh, the, all of the, the encouraging all of this green stuff. Let's say California is going to ban the. They banned this and they banned that and they've deliberately done things to raise the cost of electricity, and uh, specifically in California. And that, and they know that that ends up uh, negatively impacting to a much greater degree, so-called people of color, because they they tend to be on the in the poverty level. So it, you know, so that then she titled her book "Green Jim Crow," and she went through all of the all of the ways that these po these policies are screwing people over, especially poor people, and especially people so-called people of color. In California, and that's why you know, and so, and that's actually there's this thing called degrowth, uh, and so there's a lot of the bureaucracy in California is specifically engaging in degrowth decisions. They want to get rid of people. They want they want to you know so that people wonder well why all these kids are depressed or whatever. Uh, you know, a lot of them are committing suicide. That's that's not by accident. People are planning it. They want that to happen. They want degrowth. They want depopulation. Especially bureaucrats, because bureaucrats don't have to, they can kind of be insulated from the real world to a large extent. Because they, they sort of exist as a parasite on the back of everyone else through the tax structure. And then... Uh, 
they're sort of insulated from the consequences of their own decisions. And they can just really screw people over. Uh, you know, particularly in a state like California, or New York is another one. Illinois would be one. But certainly uh, California and New York are really into this degrowth philosophy, or, you know, at least the, bureau the bureaucrats are. And that's probably also true with a lot of the bureaucrats in the federal government. You know, so this is all deliberate. You know, they're happy about people, you know, kind of being thrown out of work and then ending up on drugs. You know, that you're talking about the people in uh, West Virginia and parts of Kentucky where they, where they're, oh, well, we're, because of the climate change, we have to cut, cut shut down all of these uh, coal mines because they're ruining the planet. You're killing the planet. Have to shut these down, and so then all these people end up on fentanyl and what and different drugs, and it's a terrible problem. It's a social scourge. It's deliberate. They're happy about it. They may they're talking out of both sides of their mouth. They'll say, "Oh, well, we don't want you on drugs. You shouldn't do that. It's illegal. That's bad." But they threw them out of work on purpose, you know. And if you go back through their own words, there's proof of it. And it's bureaucrats that did it. In this case, in the case of West Virginia and Kentucky, federal bureaucrats that did it. And there's plenty of case, you know. There's, you know, if you watch that guy's videos, there's plenty of examples of these towns that have just utterly been decimated or they've been destroyed. You know, so, but it's on purpose. But it's mostly from people that, you know, that, like I say, the bureaucrats are sort of, you know, I guess if you want to be one of these people that ha that has my reality, well, I've got my reality, well, that's a bureaucrat. Because then they can, they can, they've got their cushy jobs and it's really, it's almost impossible for them to be fired. And yet they can make all of these policy decisions that screw people over while they're pretending to be, oh, we're just such good liberals and we're, 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 we're wanting to save the planet. Yeah, right. They're complete idiots. Useful idiots. Useful if you want to depopulate the world. So, <laughs> anyway, uh, we've got about five minutes file from uh, Joel so here is Joel hey Tom I hope you're doing well haven't heard a show in a while and that's okay it's yeah I'm I haven't done my arcade show in fact that's my new show that I've been doing living in the shade of a retro arcade and um, they uh, <clears throat> One thing I just noticed here, I, I'm um, actually on the way to church here, and noticed a couple things. One, I nicked myself shaving this morning. Um, I grow a beard, but my wife uh, says no. <laughs> and uh, but you know, so one of the things I went looking for this morning, I thought, oh, let me just stop at a drugstore, maybe Kroger, and actually I ended up doing both. Uh, just to see if uh, anyone had a styptic pencil. 
and no one had any, which I'm kind of wondering why that is. I don't know. Maybe people don't nick themselves as much. Um, I seem to do it like, oh, I don't know, maybe once or twice a month. So I think I'm just going to go ahead. And I know Amazon has them, so I'm just going to order them. But that's just something that I've noticed. Um, and it's probably of just no real concern here. But the one that is more of a concern was I stopped at the Kroger. My church is a little closer to where my old home uh, was. Uh, we have a new home. It's not as far away. Um, yeah, it's not it's close to this. We were talking about 10 minutes. This Kroger is probably about 10 minutes from my house. So there's only a couple. And uh, I went in there, and they've been going through a lot of uh, rearranging of things. Uh, the one that I normally would go to in Grove City has done similar things. Uh, but what I'm discovering, and depending on what area the store is in, the, they're making kind of different arrangements. So the one that I noticed with... Uh, the one that's closer to where I used to live. That one has all the, like, any of the health and beauty things, like shaving stuff, body wash, laundry soap, all right, and, you know, brushes, you know, beauty stuff, HBA stuff, all right. The only kind of weird one was the laundry soap. They have all this stuff in a separate area, and you have to purchase that stuff in that area. Now, I don't know whether this is because of theft or why this is. You know, all I know is that's what they said. You know, I I don't have a problem with that. You know, and, you know, I would just like to know why. And I think if people knew why. I maybe something would change. I don't know, <laughs> but I just found it strange. And I know in some areas of the country, especially uh, California, they have a lot of stuff in like a like a locked cabinet. You know, like even jeans. You know, so it's like is crime getting that bad in this country? I'm afraid I'm going to say yes. You know, because I'm just not as optimistic about the country as I used to be. So, there's just a lot of stuff going on here, and, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. I'm, ho I'm praying and hoping that this, this changes, but I thought you might find that interesting. I'm not sure you're around more areas of the country than I am. I thought it would be kind of cool to see what you're seeing too but I just found that odd and not to mention the fact the same stuff um, is just wide open in the uh, rest of the store in the area that I live in you know so what I guess my area has got lower crime than my old area which I can guarantee you that's definitely true um, some of the recent things like there was a uh, I don't know if it was a 
cop shooting someone or something like that. A lot of robberies when happening in some of those very stores I used to shop in. And I don't mean just, you know, shoplifting. I mean people literally walking in and walking out with thousands of dollars worth of stuff. You know, and and uh, I'm worried about this country. So the only thing I can really do to fix it is pray. You know. And I wish I wish the Democrats would learn a little bit of that. So anywho, talk to you later. Thank you, Joel. Uh I haven't I don't know. I, I the only Walmart stores that I go in uh, you know, are the ones that are close to my house. Of course, that's close to the, you know, I live pretty close to Bentonville, where that's the corporate uh, headquarters for Walmart. You know, and then uh, sometimes, you know, and there's a kind of a small regional supermarket chain called Harps that's based also, it's, I think their headquarters is in Springdale, Arkansas, so it's still in northwest Arkansas. And they've got some really nice supermarkets. And as far as I know, the only thing that they would have, uh, and it's behind, you know, kind of this one area, would be like tobacco products. Those are sort of... Uh, well, they've got two areas because there's this one area that's more of the convenience store type area that's you know that's uh you know because they have this one area you know the end of the store where the the harp store where the uh, gas pumps are they've got an entrance there and then they usually have people uh there with uh they've got some tobacco products behind them and just like you'd see in a convenience store and then in front of that, there's this big aisle of, uh, you know, like oil and all this other stuff for, you know, funnels and gas gas cans and all that that you'd, you know, like in a, you'd see in a convenience store. And then they've got the, you know, basically ready-to-go food that they cook. And so that area is all in that one, one side front corner of the store. And in the rest of the store, there's a regular front entrance, and then uh, you've got some checkouts. And then in the very front of the building, there's another area where, you know, it's uh, where they have the tobacco products, I think, primarily. And so someone, you know, they have to actually, they have a salesperson up there. But typically, they're not there. You, if you were going to buy tobacco products let's, or whatever else they have behind that, they might have to call one of the cashiers up there because I don't think they man that all the time. But and then the drugstore area, of course, that's in the other part front of the store. There's a, a drug section, and of course the the uh, drugs. That's those people are all kind of behind the counter, like you're used to seeing. Like if there's an in-store pharmacy. Those are typically, in every case, like Walgreens, Walmart, wherever, the in-store pharmacy is always, uh, you know, you're talking to the people typically through a window, some sort of window or, uh, you know, where the access to the prescription drugs is uh, kept separate so that you just can't walk up and grab prescription drugs, obviously. And that's probably by fed, you know, that's probably by federal and state mandate. So, 
but I have seen cases where they've, uh, you know, like uh, things like electric shavers and stuff like that might be behind, uh, you know, like locked up. Then if you go into a place like uh, Office Depot, in many cases, they've got things like computer memory, hard drives, uh, that may be locked behind a glass case, and you just have to get somebody to get it for you. So, and the other thing that, uh, well, like at Office Depot, you know, like if, instead of having the software actually out on the shelf, They'll have the, and they've done this for years, they'll have like the empty box and you just take the, either the empty box or the card, like if you're going to buy Microsoft Office or something, or, you know, or let's say you're something like that, then you just take the card up to the front counter and they, they get it out of the storeroom. So, I can see why stores are doing that as uh, with different things because of course we've all seen the online videos where and they're making TikTok videos out of this to get their millions of views uh, where they just go into place and uh, you just grab a bunch of stuff and then run out of the front of the store uh, which is ridiculous of course California has encouraged it by making they can charge up to like nine hundred and fifty six dollars or some odd number they can walk out and as long as they stay under that uh, amount then it's it's just a misdemeanor and they don't go to they might get arrested but they don't go to jail and they're just free to do it again and again and again and that's encouraged that type of behavior so you know it could uh, a stop could be put to it depending on you know the, the basically the local area what are you willing to do locally now if I don't think that those sorts of robberies have happened anywhere in Arkansas I'd be shot maybe in Little Rock I don't know but uh, I would be shocked if they happened in Arkansas or a place like Louisiana I just don't see that happening Mississippi probably not happening Alabama probably not happening Maybe if you get in a giant city, maybe it's happening, but, uh, you know, is it happening in, you know, like Tulsa or Oklahoma City? I seriously doubt it. Seriously, seriously doubt it. So it's only going to be happening in certain places. And uh, I could see where it might happen in Ohio because, you know, specifically Cincinnati has had, uh, if you go back a number of years, they've had some, you know, some serious racial riots. So I could see that, you know, and the unspoken thing is that these are typically black people that are doing it, but of course the news is not going to say that. You know, and they're kind of encouraging them to do it. You know, so they're sort of tear, trying to tear down the society through people that you're get, try to try to get you to feel sorry for them, and then they use that as the the egress into uh, sort of ripping down the society. So, uh, what can you do about it? Make make a lot of noise. 
with your uh, law enforcement, with your politicians, make as much noise as you can. If you're sort of stuck in that area, uh, I wouldn't simply accept it. And beyond that, if you, you know, you, let's say you've got a state like California, you just get the hell out of there. Now, it's interesting. I've been in, you know, I was just in California the other day. And I was in uh, Oregon. Oregon's had some, certainly Portland's had its problems. But I'll tell you this much. The places, now of course the places that I go to, the types of places that I would go to in California don't have a problem. You think a truck stop, in, the truck stop that I, you know, I was in this uh, Ontario, California truck stop the other day is a big Petro truck stop. You know, and they've got their merchandise in the store, and they've got a restaurant and everything, and everyone is perfectly well behaved. So part of it is to stay, you know, you, you, know, you want to protect yourself. You sort of surround yourself with like-minded people. And if, now the problem is, some, you know, usually the, the rotten people are only going to be in certain areas. But that's not always true. Sometimes they'll try to invade other areas and I think that's more likely in big cities where they sort of crash into the front of the Apple store and then try to grab things or crash in front of the crash into the jewelry store and then uh, you know grab a bunch of stuff and run in a big city but uh, a lot of it has to do with the mindset what's tolerated what is going to be tall? What is your what is your local police department tolerating? What are you? What is your you know just in general? What are you? What is the general population tolerating? As far as bad behavior, because that's that's kind of really what it comes down to. What are you going to tolerate? You know. So, but I write, you know, and I think these things, you know, it's, it's sort of like a pendulum that swings back and forth. So right now there are people that are just trying as hard as they can to tear America down. You know, and I think this is, is probably going to keep, you know, it's probably not going to get any better anytime soon. Now, it depends. I was watching this video the other day. This guy was walking, you know, it was uh, an area that uh, previously was just had all these homeless tents and all these people and, you know, the drug addicts and all that, uh, you know, and then he was walking, you know, and he walked through this area, the, you know, in this video I watched the other day and he was remarking, well, this has all been cleaned up. So the local area, just whatever it was, I don't remember which, you know, it's one of the beaches and areas in Southern California, it was completely cleaned up. All the homeless tents were gone. It wasn't, uh, you know, they decided they weren't going to tolerate it, at least in that particular area. So this, this kind of behavior doesn't have to be tolerated. It does not have to be tolerated. And a lot of it's been encouraged by the media. You know, gets you to feel sorry for the, oh, these poor black people. 
They won't mention that they're black, but it's typically it is. These poor people, oh, you have to feel sorry. They've been disadvantaged. Yeah, they were disadvantaged because their, their morality was destroyed. That's the disadvantage. It's not that you're economically disadvantaged and then you throw your morality to the wind. You throw your mor morality to the wind typically first. And that, that puts you at a huge disadvantage. So you surround yourself with like-minded people, meaning you surround yourself with moral people. If you possibly can. So, but, you know, and in some cases you just have to take these matters into your own hands. And, if, you know, like if you, you want to live in inner city Detroit, have at it. Uh, but I wouldn't touch that with a 10-foot pole. You know, there's other areas that uh, aren't that far away that that are perfectly normal and you just, you know, and generally speaking, the bad people, the bad mindset, as a rule, it's a rule of thumb, it can be violated, but rule of thumb, bad mindsets tend to stay in the same geographic areas. They, you know, because people tend to do whatever they feel they can get away, you know, whatever the group is going to tolerate as a rule. You know, like I say, that can be violated. You know, things happen. It's not a perfect rule. Generally speaking, there's going to be a certain code of behavior that people tend to follow. You know, so you can think of it like if you're in a large group of people, there's sort of, if you really think about it, you're just, most of it's unconscious, but you're allowing a certain amount of distance between you and the other people, and you're only going to talk, uh, you know, like if you're talking to your friend or whatever, you're not just going to be screaming at the top of your lungs. There's going to be certain, uh, you know, you're sort of watching the group around you. And so we do that uh, in a lot of unconscious ways. So, uh, but... Uh, you know that's the only solution that I can come up with personally is just stay the stay the hell away from the bad areas you know and if the bad area comes to you then that's one thing but uh, generally speaking a lot of that can be avoided you know and, and if people are doing that then it's just and then other people tolerate it then that's just uh, you know, it's to the detriment of uh, the people that are kind of stuck in that area or the people that are tolerating it. So what's happening, there's a lot of businesses that are just closing down because, they, you know, this, like in California in particular, there's areas where they just, like in San Francisco, there's tons of, there's tons of stores that have just closed their doors because the city, the police won't enforce the laws. Police won't do anything about it. So then the only the only uh, thing after that is just to close close the thing down. That's the end of it. If you want, you know, you want to go to your uh, whatever store, uh, you're just going to have to go. You're going to have to drive elsewhere. That solves the problem, at least for that company. So anyway, now one other thing. Uh, while I was home the last time, I. Uh, 
for some time I've needed to get my trees trimmed, around, particularly around the house. And so I finally, I, I called this uh, tree service, and I guess it's a national company, it's called Monster Tree Service, but they have local, uh, it's like local franchises. And there's a local franchise in Northwest Arkansas, so I called them, and uh, so the gal came. There was a young gal that came out and uh, kind of looked the trees over that I wanted uh, trimmed, and uh, you know, around the house. In one case, there's this branch that's kind of over the years it ended up kind of hanging out over the house, and I want that gone because it, it's just a matter of time before the an ice storm or a wind storm causes a problem with it, so it needs to be fixed. So, uh, you know, they sent me an estimate, and it's, uh, it was, didn't, you know, it, you know, the, it's $3,600, but, uh, oh well. Because <laughs> I'm getting some, branch, you know, that one branch in particular trimmed off, and then a bunch, you know, the, for a lot of the trees around the, the house, uh, in the area that I mow, get the canopy, the general canopy raised, and then there's another tree that could fall on the house that I, I really hadn't paid attention to it as a hickory tree, but it, uh, woodpeckers done some serious damage to the trunk. So that tree could conceivably end up falling over and doing damage to the house. So there, you know, I want that tree gone including grinding the stump. So $3,600, I uh, sent them the thing back approving it through the email. So I would like to be there whenever they're doing the work. They say they're four to six weeks out with their work. But uh, they can do it when I'm not there. They took pictures and everything and they've got a nice written description along with the pictures that they took. Uh, of the work that I want done and so they'll they can do that while I'm not there and then they can just they'll let me know and then uh, I can simply mail them a check which I'm you know that, that's fine so uh, gotta do that so uh, then that'll that'll certainly take care of the problem for uh, for a long long time is whenever I put the house in there back in uh, 90, I guess it was 95, 94 or 95 is when I put that house in there. And then, uh, you know, and I made sure that there were no limbs hanging out over the house. But of course, trees grow. <laughs> Over that time, you know, a bunch of trees have grown. I think it was, was that 90? Maybe it was 93, no, 95. It was 1995, I, yeah, I think it was 1995 when, when I got that house put in there and so I had, you know, everything was trimmed back and, uh, you know, so over that time, uh, a lot of the stuff is, you know, it just grows and so it's time to fix it fix the problem and it'll stay fixed for a long long time so anyhow better be bringing this to a close hope everyone uh, 
is having a good week so far, and I will catch you later. Remember, Trucker Tom is like Visa. He's everywhere you want to be. Product reviews, restaurant reviews, photos, opinions, and more. Visit Trucker Tom's website at www.truckerphoto.com. You've been listening to Trucker Tom's podcast, and we'd love to hear what you have to say. All you have to do is send us an email to tom at truckerphoto.com.